Welcome back. In today's session, I am excited to present to you Jesus's content that he presents to the church in Pergamum, which is the compromising church, but also the church in Thyatira, which is the corrupted church. And I pray that through our study, you'll begin to hone in on some of the ways that these churches gained in compromising their faith and at the same time having practices that were corrupted by paganism and evil. And I pray that your local church would refrain from such practices. So tune in and listen up. Welcome back. In this session, we're actually gonna cover two different churches that Jesus addresses in the book of Revelation. First, we're gonna look at the church in Pergamum, which we will see is the compromising church. And then secondly, we're gonna look at the church in Thyatira, which was the corrupt church. Now let's start with Pergamum. It's very interesting to notice how Jesus identifies himself to the church in Pergamum. Remember, this is the compromising church, and Jesus tells them that he is the one who holds the double-edged sword. And the saints in Pergamum would have clearly understood this to mean that Jesus Christ rules with righteousness and he pronounces judgment with full authority. So righteous authority with divine judgment. Now they would have understood this because in their face stood imperial worship. There was a stronghold in the city of Pergamum, one of the largest temples for worship unto Caesar. And there was a known story of a martyr by the name of Antipas who would not bow to Caesar, who would not perform any acts of worship to anybody outside of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ alone. And Antipas was killed for his faith. And the saints in Pergamum would have understood that when Jesus says he will bring divine judgment, it's not on those who are worshiping him, but rather it's on those who are against Christ. The story of martyrs actually fuels the faith of Christians who remain alive. Like, think about it. I remember when I first heard about those 21 Egyptian Coptic Christians who actually never recanted away from the name of Jesus when ISIS lined them up on a beach and beheaded them. When I read that story, it brought me to tears. I broke and it infueled me to now go out and remain bold and vocal about the gospel proclamation, but also living out the implications of the gospel in my local church, in the community that God has planted my family and I in. And so there's something about martyrdom that should allow us to remain convicted, to stay unashamed about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if you think about it, Jesus Christ surrendered his perfect life in exchange for us who were sinners. And he did it without any shame. In fact, the Bible tells us that he bore our guilt and shame on the cross. So the least we can do is understand that if we're ever put in that place to compromise our faith in order to continue to live, may we not coward back. May we say, I will not recant. I will never reject the name of Jesus Christ. But listen, Jesus is not just calling us to die in that moment. Jesus is actually telling the saints in Pergamum, why aren't you living for me? You're compromising your faith. It's one thing to say, I'll die for Christ. But Jesus is saying, saints, will you live for me? But then he also speaks to the reality that even though there are those who were giving their lives for the sake of the gospel like Antipas, there are also those who are compromising their faith by synchronizing their worship with pagan practices. Oversimplified, the reality of what they're doing is they are saying, I wanna worship God in spirit and in truth, but I wanna do it with these pagan practices as well. This is what we call syncretism. To further explain syncretism, I wanna take us back to Exodus chapter 32. Now remember, Moses is at the mountaintop talking with God. 
Aaron, the high priest, is down trying to govern the people of Israel. The people of Israel actually want to worship Yahweh and express thankfulness to him. However, they do something that God has told them not to do. They synchronize their worship with Egyptian pagan practices. So what do they do? They try to render their worship to God by making a golden calf. So the heart to say, I want to worship God in a way that is pleasing and acceptable to him, but I want to do it on my terms and I want to do it with practices that I'm familiar with. God says, no, I don't want you to do that. That's compromising your faith. So in a very similar way, Jesus is actually calling the saints in Pergamum to stop practicing syncretism. He is saying, stop trying to couple your worship and your service to God with the false pagan practices of those who follow the doctrines of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. And then Jesus says this, that if you conquer compromise, I will actually give you the hidden manna. The hidden manna, thinking back to manna in the wilderness. The word manna is mana in Hebrew, which means, what is it, what is it? And God fed the Israelites with food and he provided them with sustenance that they needed while he was bringing them through the Exodus on the Sinai Peninsula. So God actually fulfilled all their needs. But Jesus says that if you conquer compromise, I'm gonna give you hidden manna. The hidden manna is Jesus Christ himself. Is the fact that you would have uninterrupted eternal fellowship with him by staying faithful, rejecting compromise, and conquering and walking in the victory that Jesus Christ has secured for his bride, the church. He will give to you as your reward himself. So as we think through the reality of the saints of Pergamum, let's allow that to carry us in transition to the saints in Thyatira. The saints in Thyatira were actually corrupting their faith and they were allowing their hearts to be swayed away by a woman that Jesus calls Jezebel. Now, as we speak on the church in Thyatira, this is the corrupt church. They've allowed corrupt practices to enter into the reality of their rhythm of life. Now, Jesus speaks to the corrupt church of Thyatira by addressing himself as the son of God. This is again contextualized to the city of Thyatira because the pagans identified their chief God as known as being the son of the gods. So Jesus is clearly countering the normative rhythm of the pagans by saying to the church in Thyatira, I am the true sovereign and authoritative son of God. Jesus begins to then give his characteristics of his eyes being like fire, his feet being like brass, meaning that his perfect righteous on-site omniscience can call out all of the infractions to God's righteous laws and his feet of brass. Think about a wine press when people would step on the grapes, that their feet would bring the grapes to the point that they're crushed and the juice would flow down. This is Jesus saying, I will crush those under my feet when I bring divine, righteous, and pure judgment. So the question is, how did the church in Thyatira become corrupt? Well, Jesus says that they have been tolerating this woman called Jezebel. Now, whether she was literally a woman by the name of Jezebel or just a woman who shared the same heart as the Old Testament figure, the vicious queen and the wicked queen Jezebel, that's unbeknownst to us. But what we do know is that she had weaved her way into the community of the people of God in Thyatira and she began to now put false doctrine, overt idolatry and immorality in the plain sight of the people. And the people were now corrupting their faith by indulging in immoral practices and practices that would promote idolatry. And Jesus said, I'm tired of it. I have given a certain time frame for repentance and now judgment from the feet 
feet of brass whose eyes are piercing like fire is coming upon all of those who have been swayed by Jezebel. And in addition to that, those who were believers and they have been swayed by Jezebel, Jesus said that he is coming to bring discipline through the form of tribulation and even death. And here you have a church that started rightly on the word of God over the course of time began to stray and they began to embrace idolatry and immorality and another generation of believers was coming up after them and they naturally gravitated to the idolatry and the immorality that they saw their parents both in the faith and arguably in their homes embrace and incorporate in the life of the church. And Jesus calls them out on it. So as we think about the corruption, this is where we have to think about Jesus giving us the instructions from his very word, how he wants us to address corruption in our church. In Matthew chapter 18, he gives us the prescription and description of church discipline when it comes to laity in our local bodies. But also for leadership in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verses 19 through 21, Jesus actually speaks on what church discipline looks like for corrupt leadership in the church. When speaking of church discipline and either the laity or leadership in the church, I think of one story for each in my own life. I remember serving in a church where there was a person who was actually living in a moral lifestyle and there was constant pleas for repentance by individuals who had witnessed it and it went all the way to excommunication. And when we brought it before the church, there was a high level of grief in regards to the situation that it would present itself all the way to excommunication. And when the excommunication took place, God showed up in the midst of our people. We saw people who were broken. There was a reverence and an awe for the holiness of God, where people said, I wanna come clean for the sinfulness that I've been hiding. And they came forward to the elders and they began to confess their sins. They embraced their brokenness and they said, I want to be spiritually healthy. I want to be free from this addiction. I wanna be free from this lifestyle of sin. And we saw God work to purify his church in that moment. We had individuals who had been walking with Jesus for decades that walked up to our leadership and said, they had been in churches where they have never seen spiritual discipline take place in a way that was in accordance to the scriptures and then they saw the people of God respond in a way where they embraced the holiness of God and they wanted to see it real time in their presence in the local church and they affirmed our leadership in that capacity for following the word of God but then I also think about the time in leadership when actually there was a couple of saints that brought to my attention some areas in my life that they felt that I was actually slipping on, specifically in the area of gluttony. Now, it wasn't that I was indulging in the sin of gluttony, but they were saying that publicly I was making light of the sin of gluttony. So they informed me of these charges and the witnesses brought forth and they said on these occasions, Pastor DA, you have said these things publicly and you have made light of the sin of gluttony. And I said, you're absolutely right. So what we will do is we will take these accusations and I will put you in contact with the leadership of our church and the church elders will handle the case from here and you will work directly with them. I will remove myself and I will await to hear from the authority of the elders in my life. And that week the elders called me in and they said, you're not participating in the sin of gluttony. However, the accusations and the charges are accurate that you actually were making light of this sin and it is grievous to the body, especially with you serving in a leadership capacity. And the elders said, we are calling you to 
make a statement of confession and repent before the congregation so that you will stop the practice of making light of this sin and then we will seek to see you restored spiritually and we will pray and we will see God do a great work in our midst. And guess what? That's exactly what we did. And to this day, there are people that said, man, I remember when you stood up before the church and you said that you were taking this sin too lightly, making jokes about it. Not that you were participating in it, but the fact that you would submit yourself to the leadership and the authority of the local church who was seeking to live out the scriptures and practical application still stirs them on in their faith to this day. So Jesus is serious about corruption in his church. Remember, when Jesus comes back for his bride, he's coming back for a spotless bride without blemish and wrinkle. And the way that we purge ourselves is by going back to the word of God. We are seeking the pursuing of the application of God's word in our lives, in our local churches. So the way that you can go into your study tonight, the way that you can go into your group discussion is by thinking through, are there areas of compromise like Pergamum? and other areas of corruption in our local church like Thyatira that the Lord wants to surface through this time of discussion? And if so, what's the biblical prescription for us to deal with compromise and corruption in such a way that it brings a restoration of the holiness and the reputation of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church? So the application Jesus Christ is calling all of our local churches to is this, walk in victory over compromise and corruption by looking at the Word of God, placing our hearts in submission to its authority and in submission to the local church leaders who are biblically qualified to serve us in that position. So local church, walk in victory over compromise and over corruption in Jesus Christ.